0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit mysouthland.com. How many of you have already received partial or full answers to prayer this month already? Raise your hands. Wow. That's quite a few. That's fantastic. No show of hands on this question now. But how many of you have become tired and given up on praying because you pray and pray and pray and nothing changes? We're prone to get weary and give up on prayer, and by extension, God. Luke 18.1 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Why shouldn't they give up? Because God actually wants to answer prayer. The parable that this is referring to, or that Jesus then told, is about a widow who sought justice from her adversary before an unjust judge. The unjust judge kept refusing her, but her persistence wore him down. So he reluctantly gave her the justice she had cried out so long for. Now the point of the parable is not that God is reluctant to answer our prayers, not at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The point of the parable is this, that God wants to answer your prayers. This parable contains the lesser to greater argument. You have to understand that. And I'll use that uh, phrase three times in the next few minutes. It, it, it has the lesser to greater argument. And that's the secret to unlocking the meaning of this parable. Uh, This parable contains that argument. So, if it's true that this unjust judge would grant a widow her request, not because he was just, but because he wanted to get rid of her, then how much more is it true? You see, the lesser to the greater, that God, who is just, will grant you what you ask. That's the point. God wants to answer your prayers. In Luke chapter 11, we have the parable of the guest who arrived at his friend's house at midnight. You see the three different people, starting from the left moving to the right and uh, he arrived at his friend's house, that's the one in the middle, at midnight asking for three loaves of bread. Now, this host or friend, the one in the middle, didn't have it, so he went to borrow it from a neighbor, that's that's the sleeper one, the third one, who called out saying, I'm already in bed, I've locked the door, and the children are asleep. But because of the sleeper's shamelessness, impudence is also used there, he is afraid that the friend, the one in the middle, will tell everyone tomorrow in the village that the neighbor didn't get, uh, didn't help, and his name will be Mud. The sleeper is worried that by tomorrow, if he doesn't give, if he doesn't give the bread that was asked for by the host, the borrower, to give to the guest, then his name will be Mud by next morning. So he gets up, and reluctantly or begrudgingly gives the three loaves to the host borrower, the one in the middle, who gives it to the guest who came. This parable also uses the lesser to greater argument. If it is true that the shameless sleeping neighbor will get up and get the bread just to save face, lesser, then how much more will God, who loves you, Grant your, your requests. And we know it's true. I mean, we, can, uh, we, we feel that in our day-to-day life, this same parable. If, if uh, uh, somebody comes to my door right after the Thanksgiving food and clothing drive, and it's a stranger, and they're trying to collect more things, and I've just given a bunch of stuff to the food and clothing drive, and now they come to the door, and they're a stranger, and they want something from me, you know what I'll do? I'll give it to them. Reluctantly. They don't know it. I smile and I put a few token things in their bags because I've already given a lot. But I'm afraid that they might recognize who I am. (laughs) Is it true? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. But in the same scenario, if my little grandkids show up at my door and ask for the exact same thing, I will run and I will fill their bags to overflowing. Why? Because I love them. Is it true? Exact same thing. It's the parable. All over again. These two parables together are saying that you must believe that God wants to answer your prayers because He is just and because He loves you. But if that's true that he wants to answer my prayers, then why does he delay in answering my prayers? That's where people get hung up. They say, I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and this God who supposedly wants to answer my prayers actually delays in answering my prayers. Well, let's take a look at why he delays in answering prayers, and then we're going to come back to this right at the end of the message. First of all, he delays in answering our prayers because he's changing our desires. Marty and Andrea Gunter's testimony perfectly illustrated it, didn't it? Luke says that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray in Luke chapter 11 verse 1. And in the next uh, 12 verses, Luke clearly compiled four messages of Jesus on prayer together and packaged them in a we'd call them in a DVD series. <laughs> Uh, to put online. I mean, you got the the first one is the model prayer for the disciples, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The very next piece, immediately without any commentary, go, uh, records the parable about the guest who asked for the three loaves that we just referred to in verses 5 to 8. And then he included two poems back to back, immediately following After that, and without commentary in between, poem number one says, you know, asking you will receive, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be what? Open uh, to you. And then the next poem, and it continues, and then the next poem uh, uh, begins by saying, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? You know, that whole piece, right? That is that whole piece that's the whole piece. The disciples ask for that. Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer, but Luke includes these other teachings, and he's crafting it together into a series on prayer by Jesus. And in the first part, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus began with two conditions. The first condition was this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, May your name be glorified in all that I do and all that we do. That's the first condition for prayer. And immediately follows the second one. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Advancement of God's higher kingdom purposes is the other one. Now, whatever we pray has to fall between those two boundary markers. But there's a third condition. In the second poem, okay? I mentioned those four things. The second poem, uh, and we'll take a look at it. And that's the third condition. Luke chapter 11, 11 to 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children though you are evil, notice that, you know how to give to your children. How much more, good gifts, how much more, there's the lesser to the greater argument again. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, fish and eggs were common foods in Palestine, while serpents and scorpions were regular hazards, The lesser to the greater argument here. If you sinful fathers wouldn't give bad gifts to your children, there's a third condition coming up here now, how much more will your heavenly Father not give bad gifts to you? In fact, he'll even give you his best gift, which is his Holy Spirit. That's what that, that whole thing is saying. So now you have three conditions for prayer. You have three boundary markers within which answered prayer has to fit. And uh, it's, it's really important. What he gives us must be within glorifying him, advancing his kingdom purposes, and something that will not hurt us. In Marty and Andrea's case, <clears throat> God gave them his answer to love Uh, and adopt children who didn't have parents. Why? Their story glorifies him because it reminds us that he adopted us too. Amen? Amen. All of us are adopted. Is that true? Yes. Yes. And so we're reminded to give him praise. And his story advances his kingdom, too. Two souls who didn't have godly parents now are in a godly home and will most likely come to know God exactly what his advancing kingdom is all about. Amen? And, you, and we see how that works within those parameters, within those boundary markers. Well, <clears throat> not only <clears throat> does he delay in answering our prayers sometimes because he's changing our desires, as he did with the Gunters, but also because we're not listening sometimes we pray and pray and pray and pray for something and get nothing because we're not listening matthew chapter 4 verse 4 says and he answered this is jesus during the temptation It is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word by what every word word that comes from the mouth of god now there's something fascinating here but we have to look at the context first to see it It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's a very fascinating statement. And after fasting 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter said, came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And then Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, that's, here's the context. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, by the Spirit, to be tempted by the devil. We know that it was the Father's will for Jesus to be tempted by the devil because the Spirit only does what he hears from the Father. Isn't it true? John chapter 16 says that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. The father evidently wanted jesus to fast 40 days to make the temptation that satan would throw at jesus very powerful and after the 40th day the tempter was let loose to tempt jesus and this is what he says if you're the son of god command the stones to become loaves of bread now look at jesus response again the tempter has said turn the stones into bread and you'll have food Jesus responds, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Several things stick out here that show us what Jesus was getting out at. First, note the phrase, every word. What does that mean? Every word. The devil tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread, and Jesus refused, saying that man must live by every word Coming from the mouth of God. Had God written in the Old Testament Scriptures somewhere that you were not allowed to turn stones into bread? Have you ever seen a commandment, thou shalt not turn stones into bread? No. So then Jesus would not be violating what the written word said. True? If he wouldn't be violating what the written word said, then it must mean that Jesus would have been uh, violating the Father's spoken word to him communicated by the Spirit. In other words, then what Jesus was really referring to was something else that God had said other than what was just in the law or in the written scriptures. And that means whatever the Spirit was saying to him from the Father That's what he was talking about. He was supposed to be living by and ministering by. And that understanding is undergirded by the second phrase. Note the phrase, that comes. It is the present indicative, translated, that is continually coming. That is continually coming. In other words, the words from God are continually coming. They didn't just come one time and that's it. He's continually speaking to us. God is always talking with us. What he was saying, what Jesus was saying, is that the Spirit, in submission to the will of the Father, is leading us day by day, and we need to live by what he is telling us day by day. It's like when Donovan and I were having that conversation. And in the middle of the conversation, I wasn't terribly up for the idea of him going to Winnipeg. And in the middle of the conversation the Holy Spirit said, release him. That's what Jesus is talking about. You're never going to find it in here. Thou shalt release Donovan to go to Winnipeg. Is it true? It's true. And uh, in this case, the Father evidently did not want Jesus to be eating. The Spirit had led him to fast instead, and that's the point. And this is a point that the Western church has entirely missed. They always say that Jesus is saying we should be living by what the written word says. Well, yes, we should do that. But that's not all. We should also be living by what God is continually speaking to us personally by His Spirit. And the written word actually says that. Because Jesus' words are recorded there. And that may uh, not be written in God's written word, though it it won't ever contradict it. This is really practical. You're praying through your prayer and fasting cards, but you have to listen to what the Spirit is saying about each one of them. You don't just go to your prayer and fasting card, and I was doing it uh, early this morning in the dark. I was going through the thing. It took me a long time to get through my prayer and fasting card. Because you don't just kind of rush through it, and, oh, God, just uh, give us that uh, retreat and training center. Yes, and now number two, what was that again? Number two, oh, yeah, 120 pastors. Yes, God, and please give us 120 pastors out of 10 provinces by the end of year. Okay, what's number three now? Uh, Number three, yeah, we want to connect to Uganda. Yeah, that one too, God, and could we be out of debt by 2017? In fact, I'll pray that one twice. Could we be out of debt by the end of 2017? maybe three times. (laughs) And then number four, keep uh, the teachers and doctors safe, though I think I'll be okay. That's not what it's talking about. We interact with it. We listen to what he's saying about that. And that's why we listen in prayer at the prayer summit. Uh, I had you listen about uh, one of them. And it's really important because he wants to speak to us about it. We have to listen to what the Spirit is saying about each one of these cards. Uh, points on the card. are personal ones as well as corporate ones. And that should be an exercise. You can do it in yourselves, but you can also do it in private one at a time. Maybe you take one per day and you're listening and you're writing down what he's saying and you're responding to it and you're acting on it. Most of, most often the Holy Spirit wants to show you and I the solution to our prayer requests or the steps we are to take to participate in our prayer request, But we're not listening we're just praying, 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 praying. And then finally we say, "Ah, oh, God just doesn't want to answer prayers. And we contradict the explicit word of God that says he desperately wants to answer our prayers. 2005. Towards the end, uh, to, uh, towards the end of 2004, we were in phase one here. We just moved into phase one. Though we were in a new building, I was completely overwhelmed by the number of challenges there were, not to mention that I felt like we were not growing spiritually. In my journal, there's about a dozen things that that I've listed that were not going well in the church. I read them uh, the other day. We had challenges everywhere, and they were all big. I had been praying and began to feel like maybe we were to call for a 21-day or a month of prayer and fasting. On December the 15th, God spoke to Fran through Joel 2 about calling a fast for Southland Church. I wrote it down. She prophesied it to me. And uh, out of the NLT, which she reads, Joel chapter 2, it says, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Who knows? Perhaps even yet he will give you a reprieve, sending you a a blessing instead of this terrible curse. Perhaps he will give you so much that you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Blow the trumpet in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. And she underlined that. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring everyone, the elders, the children, and so on and so forth. And it tells what he would do. So, that was December the 15th, 2004, at the New Year's Eve prayer summit. December 31st, 2004, I shared this. <clears throat> and I announced a three-week fast from January 16th to February the 4th, 2005. And encouraged the board, staff, and church to join me in this fast. That was the beginning of the annual January month of prayer and fasting. This is our twelfth year. Note. Nowhere in the Bible does it say thou shalt have an annual January month of prayer and fasting. Nowhere. But the spirit spoke to both Fran and I separately. He led it. It was his idea. The last day of the fast was which again? February the fourth. Now guess what happened on february the 4th that friday february the 4th we launched our first church-wide set free retreat we called them encounters in those days and this is our 12th year of set free retreats in 2001 the holy spirit had showed me some tools about how i could see people transformed in what we now call personal prayer ministry i uh, he showed me some of the tools we've added to those tools Uh, Stephen, four winds, and so on and so forth. Then the Holy Spirit spoke to me to write up and launch a retreat now called the Set Free Retreat as we would help many people at once. We could equip the people how to do it themselves and we could duplicate it so that others could run the retreat too and thereby multiply it. Now, incidentally, it's done by many church renewal churches. But nowhere in the Bible does it say thou shalt have a Set Free Retreat. Nowhere. But the Spirit did say that to me. So here I was overwhelmed, lots of problems in the church, lots of people problems in the church. I couldn't keep up with all the individual uh, sessions. And the Holy Spirit says to me, quit praying and get busy writing a retreat. You can get a whole bunch uh, at one time. So in February 2005, we launched the retreat with 40 people in the basement of Wilderness Edge Retreat uh, Center in Pinawa. How many of you were at that first one? Are there any people in here that were at that first one? Okay, I see a few hands here there. There's 40. And we were in the basement. After lunch, Grace Hebert led us in worship, and while we were singing, the Holy Spirit suddenly spoke to me. I was standing at the back, uh, and this is what he said. I want you to do a demonstration of inner healing. <laughs> I had no notes. It wasn't part of the retreat. I'd only been doing this in private sessions with individuals. It wasn't public. But I couldn't shake the Spirit's promptings, so I said okay, though I didn't have a clue what I was going to do next. The singing finished much too soon, and it was time for me to go up. <laughs> I was nervous as I walked up, not knowing what to do next, and when I reached the lectern, I turned around, and my eyes met Al Hebert's eyes as he sat smiling up at me, and I knew instantly that he would be the Demo. I don't know if he's in this service or the next one, but I leaned over and whispered, I'm going to do a demo. Would you mind being the guinea pig? He asked, what are you going to do? I said, I don't have time to explain. <laughs> so he said, okay, I'll do it. Demo number one. I said, Al, think of a fictitious problem you're having in your life, and I'll give you a couple of minutes to come up with one. And then I started to explain what I was going to do People had never heard of this before. And then I asked Al for his fictitious problem, and then he cooperated me to demonstrate how Jesus could take you back to a memory where Satan planted a lie in a hurtful event from which you were now, uh, out of which you were now acting. And I explained it to the people. Not one of them understood what I said. I don't think. And uh, I'm not sure that I explained it very well either. So when it was finished, uh, he and I kind of, role played through the thing and i thought well i don't think anybody really got this so let's try another demo and i'm thinking god why are we doing this so we did demo number two i said al would you think of another uh come up with another fictitious problem in your life because you don't have any and uh so people were really curious and had questions so i asked them to uh, so i asked them to think about it and And uh, then I asked Al to share with us the second fictitious problem. And Once again, I would demo a prayer asking the Holy Spirit to take Al back to a memory to where the enemy inserted a lie that was now causing him to act in this fictitious way. I demoed waiting for the Spirit to bring a memory up in him. You know, I prayed, uh, uh, Holy Spirit, would you please take Al back to where, uh, to a memory where this lie that he just talked about now was planted in his uh, life. And then I waited. And... uh, Uh, waiting for the Spirit to bring that memory, and and Al then nodded that the Spirit had given him a memory. So then I went to the next part. I demoed asking the Spirit to uh, speak the truth into that memory. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you now uh, speak, uh, Lord Jesus, would you please speak truth into this memory where uh, Satan planted this lie? And within seconds, Al was weeping out loud. I was shocked, but not as shocked as the other 39 who were watching. I realized Al had picked a real situation in his life and that the Spirit was doing something right in front of everyone. That had not been my intent. When it was over, someone asked out loud, Al, was that for real? <laughs> he just nodded yes. There was a holy hush in the room, and we took a break. And immediately, I had people coming to ask me if they could see me at supper or after supper. I began holding sessions that day into the weeks after. And at the next retreat, at the end of June, I did the same demo, this time with Tim Ryan. And the exact same thing happened in front. In fact, he tells a story that he was trying to avoid my eyes because he was afraid I was going to ask him to be a demo. (laughs) I not only led the entire retreat, I conducted 14 uh, personal prayer ministry sessions at that retreat and set up more appointments for the next two weeks. I became very frustrated at that time as I was so overwhelmed with work and I went to the Lord about it and I said, Lord, you're overworking me. And God responded, I, like I thought he you know, I thought he would just put his arm around me and coddle me a little bit and say, Ray, you're amazing. You just... <laughs> I've never seen anybody like you, and I'm just going to give you a break and send you to Hawaii. (laughs) But he didn't. He said, so what are you going to do about it? I said, do about it? You're the one that's overworking me. And then the Lord said, I want you to train up ministers to do do it. So I required the lead staff to, to all do a minimum of two personal prayer. Ministry sessions per week. It was quite comical, especially watching uh, Chris Dirksen try to do personal prayer ministry sessions. (laughs) There's a good story that comes out of that one, eh, Chris? (laughs) But um, I better not tell that story. And from that, a couple of them rose to the top one being Tim Ryan, and then the Holy Spirit told me to move him from youth to care, and he began the personal prayer ministry. Four Winds got involved and added more tools to it and developed it further, and today we have a ministry center. In 2004, we had so many, many challenges. I was crying out to the Lord, help, help, help. I just kept praying. Oh, God, I'm sinking. I don't know what to do. Help me. But when we're crying out to the Lord, we've got to listen as uh, he'll have something to say to us about our needs. I just wanted relief from my handful of challenges, but God wanted to bring answers and relief to many, many more people and their challenges. And today, thousands and thousands of prayers are being answered here through the January month of prayer and fasting, and thousands have been set free at a retreat uh, from some issues, and now church renewal churches are running January months of prayer and fasting as well as set for, uh, free retreats. The other day when I was mentoring with the guys um, in the one group, the older group, the group's been with me now for three years, I asked them how many of them were running January month of prayer and fastings and only one didn't raise his hand. And then I asked them, how many of you do are, are running set free retreats? They're all running set free retreats. Is that incredible? All because when I was swamped and calling out for help, say, oh, God, please help me with my few little problems. But they were enough to swamp me. God said, if you listen to me, I'll not only solve your problems, I'll solve thousands more problems. And not just at Southland, but beyond in many other churches. We have to listen. When we're crying out for help, we don't just... We don't just cry out, oh God, please, please, do something, do something. Oh, he never answers my prayer. We've got to stop and listen. That means we've got to, and you know why people sometimes don't stop and listen? It's because they won't take the time to be with God. It actually will cost you more time. You say, well, I don't have time now. I'm so overwhelmed. That's exactly when you've got to spend time with God. There's a third reason uh, that some of our answers aren't, uh, you know, we pray and pray and he, he's delaying in his answer because he's working out many circumstances. Um, we started the Church of Faithway back in Woodstock, March 18, 1984, and we were meeting in a small YMCA, uh, YMCA room, and three years later, I was praying for and looking for a building, and I looked at a Jehovah's Witness building, and it was up for sale, but it was too much. It was 265,000. So we kept praying another year, and on August the 30th, 1988, another pastor suggested I call Lily Wong, a Christian real estate agent, attending his particular church, and she suggested the JW building, saying a deal had fallen through, and the new price was now $179,000. But notice, I had to wait a year there. Then on Sunday, September the 4th, the church agreed to offer $175,000, A developer also presented an offer that night, but he developed, uh, he he offered it at $5,000 less at $170,000. So on Tuesday, September the 6th, the offer was accepted. And as we prayed, the Holy Spirit confirmed through Psalm 37 that we were on the right track. The hitch was, our offer had a 21-day condition to arrange for financing. The reason was, we only had $1,000. And we were, we only had 50 people. There were other obstacles the denomination felt uh, that i had just brought the church into had felt felt that the jehovah's witness building was too too close to a sister church they uh, they, number two they had promised money to help a church plant nearby town so there would be no financial help and the sister church was in a building program and they wouldn't have any money for us either things truly looked bleak The nine days later september the 15th lily wong called to say that the developer who lost the bid was offering us $25,000 to back out of the deal. So I quickly did a calculation: $25,000 plus one, that's 26000 I thought, wow, we had one, now we got 26. And uh, I thought, wow, <laughs> Lord's really grown our fund. And uh, we hadn't uh, even bought the place, but it would take a lot more than just. Uh, than than that just to buy a piece of land in fact one piece of land with a couple of acres we're looking at was hundred and thirty thousand dollars at that time and um, so the little church unanimously voted not to take the offer and then we decided to set aside Tuesday September the 20th to what fast and pray what else do you do when you're in trouble And the next day, September 21st, we began to get breakthrough. I visited a bank. The manager was busy. The area manager was gone. So they offered the regional manager who just happened to be in that day. Isn't that just like God? Just like God. And as... He walked into the office, he pointed to me and said, Do you know which property you should buy? And without waiting for my reply, he said, The Jehovah's Witness building on Springbank. I couldn't believe it. I said, Why, well, that's the exact property I came to talk to you about. He said he would require 25% down payment, so he got his little calculator out and he said, That's $43,000. You got it? He saw my face. And he knew we didn't have it. So he said, how much do you have? Man, you feel small. (laughs) When they ask you for 43,000 and then you say, well, I don't have quite 43,000. And then they say, well, then how much do you have? I said, well, actually (laughs) 1,000. He just looked at me kind of stunned. He said, well, tell you what, go see what you can do but we were running, we just had a few days left. We were running out of time, it was already September 21st, we only had six days left to come up with the money or the developer would get the building. And we wouldn't even have the 25,000 that he had offered. So now we'd be right back at 1,000. With that, uh, and, and with what had happened, uh, the, the Holy Spirit began to whisper in my spirit, I knew he was in it. I went. First, the offers was 25,000, then this bank manager was asked, says, you got to have 43,000." didn't say it was nuts. And um, I thought it was, it was really amazing. And then we received two phone calls, both the pastor and the, uh, the sister church and the denomination that had a change of heart, and, and they now favored us. September 25th, I asked the church to fast and pray again. The next day, we waived the condition for financing. <laughs> we had $1,000, and we waived the condition for financing because the Holy Spirit said, I'm in this thing. And we said, okay, if you're in it, we're going in with you. Uh, though we didn't have the money, but we knew who God was. On October the 4th, exactly four weeks after we placed the offer, another real estate agent, not Lily Wong, Jomatika, called and said he had an interested party who wanted to buy our building. Well, we hadn't actually bought the building, so we couldn't actually sell it. <laughs> but he, was, he already wanted to buy it from us. Uh, we were still looking for the money to buy it. <laughs> so I explained that we had already turned down $25,000 because we really needed a building, so we wouldn't be selling. Well, the next morning, the same agent, Joe Matika, called and asked if he could see me. We met. In my home, because uh, we didn't have an office, we were meeting in the YMCA, and he pulled out a signed offer to purchase. I objected. I, uh, we're not selling. But he said, wait till you see the offer. So I looked at the offer, the net amount. Uh, I, said, I saw the numbers, and I said, what would be our net amount like that we actually get? And he said, 60,000. Let's see, 60,000 plus 1,000. I went, 61. Now we're up to 61. $1,000. Then he pulled out a pen and handed it to me to sign the offer and I explained I had to first take it to the church. He asked, what are you going to tell them? I said not to take it. What? He exclaimed. I said, it's not enough to get us the land we need. We need about $70,000. We just had this sense. We needed seventy to $75,000. Somehow that was going to work even though the piece of land that we were looking at was $130,000. So I took it to the church, and guess what? They unanimously turned it down. Thursday, October 6th, I met with the agent again and explained our position. He went back to the purchaser, but they wouldn't budge. They had to rezone, tear down the the building, and then build a new building. So the agent dropped his commission to less than half, returned with the offer, handing it to me to sign. I asked, what's the bottom line? He said, $70,000 net to you. After all fees, everything. I took it to the church and they unanimously agreed to the price, and on October the 12th, signed and sold the building we only had $1,000 for. Who was the purchaser? And this we only found out then. The very same developer who had originally placed an offer on the same evening we had, and who had lost the bid to us. The developer now ended up paying close to the $265,000 originally asked for the building, a year earlier, but instead he was now paying it so that we got seventy thousand from the Lord for land, and we moved into the Je- uh, Jehovah's Witness building for a year while it was being rezoned. And then, June nineteen ninety one, I drove by a property on Athlon Drive. Hu- there was a house and two and a half acres on it, and we sensed the Holy Spirit saying, "This is the property." <laughs> Excuse me. It just moves me because I still feel that. That's the way he speaks. Friday, June the fourteenth, the Holy Spirit spoke to me out of the following verse: First Thessalonians three eleven. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way before us. They accepted 210000 dollars with twenty thousand uh, offer with twenty thousand dollars deposit. Oh, we had we had twenty thousand. We had 71,000, I'll have you know. And the house and property could be severed from the other two and a half acres, and that way the land was completely paid for. Not the 130,000, but the 70 would cover the land completely. Then the denomination decided to give Faithway an interest-free loan. They called it the Minuteman loan, so it could be built all with free labor from our own church plus labor from tradespeople in the denomination, and they erected it in a week. And by then, Fran and I were gone. Fran, Fran and our family were gone. Today, if you drive down the 401 between Kitchener and London, you can see the building from the highway. All the twists and turns had taken three years, but the church, with only 50 people and only $1,000, now had land paid for and got a, a beautiful brand-new church building for very little money. But it takes twists and turns. There's circumstances that God is orchestrating, and you're praying, praying, praying. And you're saying, I give up. He's not doing anything. And we don't realize that behind the scenes, he's orchestrating this beautiful tapestry, this amazing story that's going to bring Nothing but honor and glory to his name. Which was, by the way, one of the conditions, right? And people's, and the faith of our people then grows in the middle of it. Isn't it true? Amen. So it's very important. Here's another reason. Because he's protecting us from trouble. i just looking at the time there. We were at the location, Chrysler Gate Highway uh, Highway 12, um, and uh, our attendance had reached 950 by September 2001. It had grown from about 150 to 950 in five and a half years, and we were crowded in three services in our 15,000 square foot building. We were, but we were boxed in on our 1.7 acres and needed more land and a bigger building. And so we were praying and praying. The prayer people were praying. Fran and I were praying. The board was praying. We're all praying. God, we need a building. What are we going to do? There were some services when I, when I would be speaking on the stage, there were people that they had this, this roll-up, I don't know what you call it, you know, a partition there into the kitchen, and there were people sitting on the kitchen counter next to the sink. It was handy. You'd drink of water. <laughs> And they were, uh, they were looking through that. We were praying for a piece of land. We heard that Steinbeck Bible College was for sale because they wanted to purchase land and build a new building, so we offered them $2 million and then figured about another million dollars for renovations, and the offer was accepted. And by, but by June 2002, they reversed their decision to sell, and, uh, and so we had no other choice than to purchase land somewhere else and build and uh, there, was, there was no hard feelings on that. We just said, hey, no problem. If you can't, that's, that's no problem. But it was a brilliant move from the Lord. As there had been a rumor going around that Ray might be trying to build some kingdom for himself. I remember it very well. When they saw, those that were part of that rumor mill that I, as well as the board, were perfectly content to purchase an old building and renovate the gym to be used as an auditorium, the rumor completely subsided. And it became clear what our true motives were, and then we were free to go ahead and purchase the land in a swamp and build phase one. Is God good or is God good? Sometimes he's delaying your prayers because he doesn't want you to get hurt. That's condition number three. He's protecting you. Sometimes it's because he's merciful. Second, Peter chapter three. Verse 49 says, they will say, where is his coming? He, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everyone, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Those who are persecuted around the world, or those who are mistreated by family and colleagues, because of Jesus, wait for justice and cry out for justice. In fact, Revelation talks about it. Lord, when are you going to make things right? They cry out and they cry out and they cry out. And the reason he's slow or delays in his answers is because he's merciful, not wanting anyone to perish. Is that a good reason? It's part of advancing his kingdom. He wants the wicked to come to repentance. He's patient because he loves sinners and wants them to come to repentance. Many wicked do come to repentance. Isn't that Fantastic. Saul stood and watched his Stephen and cried out to the Lord as they stoned him to death. And later, Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and was gloriously saved. And he, in turn, led many to the Savior. Is it worth waiting? Are you glad that God sometimes delayed? Are you glad that He delayed to give you your just deserts? I'm glad that He did not pay me what I deserved. I'm really glad that he was merciful to me. And we in turn must be glad that he is merciful to others who need to turn to Christ. Here's another one, because he won't violate a person's will to be saved. And um, I'm uh, I'm running out of time here, so I'm just going to leave that one. In fact, uh, uh, he won't violate a person. There's many reasons why he delays. In fact, I'll, I'll give you just I'll just throw a few on the screen. Because that's part of warfare. Boy, I'd like to talk about that one. Daniel, how he prayed and how the angel was fighting all the way. Because we're changed in his presence when we pray. We gain endurance and perseverance and patience and all those kinds of things. I've sometimes talked about those kinds of things in the days gone by. Because we become powerful in his presence. So we accomplish great things when we go out. And, and on and on it goes. There's many reasons why God delays his answers, but they all fall within those parameters. He's advancing his kingdom, he's gaining glory. He won't let something happen to you. He's merciful to sinners. So here's the some answer to the question: Why does God delay in answering your prayers? It's found in Romans chapter 8:28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. The reason he delays in answering your prayers and mine is because he is working all things for our ultimate good. That's the only reason why he delays. Wow. Church, you must always pray. We must always pray and not give up. Because God wants to answer your prayers, and he wants to answer my prayers, and he's answered many prayers. And the only reason he delays is for our ultimate good. And it's incumbent upon us that when he delays, that we listen and ask him why he's delaying. So that we can cooperate with him in bringing the answers to those prayers. Here's the weekly challenge. Number one, join us in the church-wide fast Tuesday to Thursday. This week, from breakfast till supper time uh, this uh, month, and um, then attend this Tuesday's prayer summit from 7 to 9. We'll be praying over the RCMP, yeah. uh, firefighters, politicians, paid and volunteer, like Arm of Hanover, City Council, MLA, MP, Hannah School Division Trustees and so on. And we'll be praying for our five big requests and for your personal ones. Number three, put your prayer and fasting cards in a prominent place so you remember to pray for them every day. Whether it's a mirror, or a refrigerator, or in your Bible, whatever. Listen in prayer about each of the church and personal requests on your prayer and fasting cards. Ask the Lord what He wants. Uh, to say to you about each request. cell leaders, use your cell time to do this. Uh, I led our uh, 152 Marketplace leaders on Wednesday. The Holy Spirit told me at 4 in the morning, he said, put your lesson aside and just lead them in prayer. And all we did, we had a mini prayer summit at Marketplace leaders. And number five, ask the Holy Spirit to help organize your life In such a way that you can pray every day. Get up an hour or more before your kids, perhaps. Or when they go to school. Or when they go down for an afternoon nap. Or on your lunch hour. Or after your family goes to sleep. Or whatever it is. Maybe you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. You want to know Him. You don't know Him or maybe you're, you've come with a really troubling issue, we've got a prayer room just out those double doors, right, right, right to your left there, or to your right. You go there, there's a prayer te- there are prayer teams waiting to pray for you. Many have had answers to prayer when they've gone to the prayer room. Father, thank you for your challenge from your word. Thank you for the assurance that you hear our prayers. Thank you that you've heard many, many prayers. Thank you for showing us and teaching us why you delay so that we can cooperate with you rather than to give up. Oh God, I ask that you'd make Southland Church a powerful church of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.